Well, I'm going to do another one of my famous social experiments, very scientific. Uh, there's a, a game coming up in sports in February, and uh, it's just a small thing. You may have heard of that. It's, it's expected to get about 98 million viewers. Uh, anybody know what I'm talking about? A Super Bowl, right, right, okay. So I want to ask this question. When you think of the Super Bowl, what player position do you think about? What pops into your mind? I'm not talking about the name of the person. I'm talking about what position does that person play? And I'm going to, what was it? Quarterback. Quarterback. So, like I didn't see that coming. Yeah. What else? Kicker? Wow. Nobody thinks of the kicker because that's a guy whose uniform is always clean and everybody makes fun of him until it's like the last three seconds of the game, right? And then the kicker's my hero. Yeah, he doesn't do anything the whole game, but man, that last three seconds, he earned his money. Yeah, I didn't put a picture of a kicker up here. That's how, how much disrespect I have for him. Um, any others? <laughs> Just Running backs. Didn't see that one coming. Yeah. And? Right, I didn't see that coming either. Um, so, <laughs> did you read my notes? <laughs> yeah, we always put all this together and we think of these, these wonderful positions because they're so flashy. And, and so I want you to think about what that means. And we're going to relate this to church life in just a second. But here's a fun fact for you. You may not know this about me. Anybody know what stadium that is? Arrowhead Stadium. I grew up in my childhood. How did you know that? <laughs> oh, touche. Did we get that on tape? Can you say that louder so we get in the microphone? No. no, this is Arrowhead Stadium. And a fun fact about me, you may not know this. My childhood home was 3.4 miles from Arrowhead Stadium. I Google mapped it. It's a wonderful thing. And so it, we actually heard when the, the Kansas City Royals are right next door to that, by the way. In 1985, when the World, the World Series was ended in Kansas City and the Royals won, we heard the roar of the crowd from my house. That's how close we were to Arrowhead and Royal Stadium. And so we had the season tickets. We did all that fun stuff. This was back in the day when Hank Stram was the coach and Lynn Dawson was the quarterback. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, if not, Google it and just I'll swipe my old guy card right there. But that was a glory time. And we, and we had season tickets because my dad had season tickets and we would always go and freeze and, and the, this is fun. This is great. And I'm thinking all the time, why can't we be at home by the fire watching this on TV? But whatever. So we, uh, we were able to experience a lot of that. And it was very interesting because uh, I, uh, you know, if you follow the Kansas City Chiefs, they won a Super Bowl way early and then not so much. I mean, you really had to be a dedicated fan there for a few decades. And then they won again here recently with Patrick Mahomes. And here's what I found fascinating. My brother, who still lives in the area, has a lot of friends, and he's an avid Chiefs fan. And it was amazing to watch social media blow up. Oh, the Chiefs, man, that's my team. It's like, where have you been the last two decades? <laughs> and oh, by the way, I wasn't aware that you had purchased the Kansas City Chiefs. What do you mean, my team? Right? Oh, no, but, but those are my boys, man. They did really good. It's like, so I, I'm sorry, I didn't... I didn't see you on the field. Did, where were you on that? Were you by the kicker or what, what were you? The water boy? I'm not sure. I didn't see you on TV. So it's very confusing how they all claim, oh, that's my team. These are my guys. But in the last few decades or even the last Super Bowl that they lost, they lost. Do you notice the change in language? When they win, it's my team. When they lost, it's they lost. Suddenly, we don't want to associate with that losing team. 
which I find highly interesting. And here's just one more trivial fact. It has nothing to do with the sermon, but I just thought this was so fascinating. Did you know that the Kansas City Chiefs did not start in Kansas City? They started in Dallas. Do you know what the name of the team was? The Dallas Texans. Now, did that just blow your mind? It's like we crossed the streams, man. In 19... <laughs> All right, so uh, Fantasy Football League, talk to Dub. He can get you some good picks, right? <laughs> yeah, Dallas Texans. Somehow that just uh, yeah, it blows my mind. In 1960, they were formed. Dallas Texans in 1963, they came to Kansas City and became the Chiefs because the mayor of Kansas City's nickname was the Chief. There you go. Now you know everything I know and, and about this much of what Deb knows. All right, so here's what I want to do today. We're going to look at Ephesians, and this is uh, chapter 4 if you're playing the home game. But here's what I want to look at it today. We've talked about all these positions in sports, and, and here's the thing that I notice about them. All of them are what I would call the glory positions. These are the people who get credit when you win. These are the people who thump their chest when they do that touchdown, or they have the special dance that they do when they do the touchdown. But you know who I did not hear anyone mention at all? I'm serious. You're in my head. Stop it. <laughs> the offensive line is specifically what I'm talking about. How many times have you ever seen a Super Bowl MVP be an offensive lineman? Yeah, me either. How many times? Uh, here's a test. How many avid Houston Texans fans? All right, so what's the name of the quarterback of the Houston Texans? D depends on which week, okay, most recently. <laughs> okay, uh, what's the name of a wide receiver on the Houston Texans? Okay, Cooks, okay. What's the name of the right tackle? Okay, let's make, this is the, one of the most important positions in football is the left tackle. What's the name of the left tackle? Nobody knows, right? Uh, right? And here's the point I'm trying to make is that a lot of times we look for the glamour thing. In church life, when we try to serve Christ, we want the glamour position. We want to be out there thumping our chest. In reality, we're called to something much, much different. So as we look through Ephesians today, I want to look through it at, from the eyes of an offensive lineman. And by the way, the left tackle is so important. Anybody know Why? The blind side. If I'm a quarterback and I've got my line lined up here and the left tackle is over here, when I take that ball and make sure I don't step on anything and I fade back for the pass, that best pass rusher on the other team is going to be coming from my blind side. And if that guy doesn't block it, I'm in big, big trouble. So that left tackle is hugely important. And that left tackle is hugely unknown. Does that matter to that left tackle? No, or we'd see a lot more whiplash in the NFL. Right? So all that to say, let's turn to Ephesians 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 with the background of the offensive line because that's the way Paul meant it to be. Paul says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And these are the words of God. They are for the people of God, and for these words we are grateful. 
Paul didn't know anything about the NFL, but Paul could not have described an offensive lineman any better. Let's, let's tear through this verse here for just a second. First of all, you may be curious, as a prisoner for the Lord, does that mean like he's enslaved by God? No, it means literally he's a prisoner. He, wrote, he did most of his writing as a, in house arrest, to be honest with you. So if you think that life is bad or you've got it bad, you can still make an impact for the kingdom. In fact, we wouldn't have two-thirds of the New Testament if Paul didn't write while he was a prisoner. So think about that. He urges us to call a life worthy of the, uh, live a life worthy of the calling we have received. What does a worthy life look like? Well, I, I, that's philosophical. You have, have people have been asking that question for decades. But a life worthy of a call that we have received from the Lord—that sounds pretty important. So we should pay attention to what that is. Hold that thought because I'm going to come back to that. So be completely humble and gentle patient and bearing with one another in love. Now, let me ask you, as you hear that list of attributes, and we live in modern North America, how appealing is that to you? <laughs> I got the big thumbs down. Yeah. Hey, you know, if you want to be great, if you want to live a life worthy of the calling, be gentle, love one another. I want to smash something. I, I, I mean, I want to do something great. I want to thump my chest in the end zone. I don't want to be gentle. And you're saying, Bill, I thought you were talking about offensive linemen. How many of you have ever put offensive linemen and gentle together? Yeah, me either. Those guys are like the strongest, biggest dudes on the field. We're talking in excess of 300 pounds, and it could probably bench, I was going to say me, that wouldn't be much of an accomplishment, a Volkswagen, right? They could probably bench a Volkswagen without effort. Why are we talking about gentle and humble? We have to understand the genesis of the word gentle and humble does not mean to be all soft and mealy-mouthed and humble. Oh, I'm, I'm nothing. It means to be under the control of something greater, willingly, to give yourself to something bigger. Humility means I don't have to be the man or the woman. Humility means I'm willing to be a team player. And nobody does that like a left tackle. Think about that. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that you're not strong. It doesn't mean that you're not capable if you've ever seen left tackles do their thing, they are not gentle. Gentle means they're under the authority of the coach, and they are running the play that has been called. Now, imagine if that left tackle got all upset and said, you know, that quarterback, he was kind of mean to me, and uh, so I'm just not going to block this time. What do you think would happen? Disaster would happen. The quarterback would probably be injured. They would probably lose the game. It just wouldn't be a good scene. This quality team would no longer be a good team. They wouldn't even make it to the Super Bowl. Now, gentle it has another connotation. Gentle means that we're not going to be bruise each other up. How many times have you seen that left tackle who's out there just absolutely going to war with that defensive end, and the quarterback you know, takes that late hit and gets on the ground, that left tackle runs over there, picks that quarterback up and dusts him off? You ever seen that? Yeah, so that's what we mean. Let's not tear each other up. We're on the same team. Sometimes we forget that. The enemy is not us. The enemy is the enemy, and the enemy is out there, and it's real. But the enemy is not us. But watch that same tackle after he dusts that quarterback off. If somebody comes up and, and whacks the quarterback, switches on, man, game's on. I wouldn't want to be that guy. So that's what we mean, gentle and, and patient with, well, gentle and, and humble to be under the authority, to run the play that's being called, to be dedicated to that. And oh, by the way, that wide receiver that's thumping his chest saying, look what I did, 
how would he do that if there was no pass blocking? How many times have you seen that wide receiver run up to the offensive line and go, thank you for allowing that pass to happen? This is a <laughs> never, right? This is a lot like being a disciple of Christ. Nobody's going to run up to you and say thank you for bringing love and peace and grace and forgiveness and truth. Nobody's going to go, wow, you're the best thing ever. But you know what? This world is going to miss you if you don't live a life worthy of that calling. And what is the calling? To make disciples. It's not rocket science. It's very simple. It's not very easy to do, but it's very simple. It's to make disciples. It's to spread that message of love and hope. And he further says to be patient with one another, bearing in love. I, I, if you've ever seen NFL mic'd up, they put microphones on the players, and then they, they play it back later. Uh, by the way, I wouldn't recommend that for the kids because sometimes, you know, they say things. But anyway, uh, you'll hear sometimes the encouragement of other players like, man, I missed that block. Say, All right, get the next one. Get the next one. Again, in church work, when we mess up sometimes, it's like, that's so dumb. I'm not, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. Where's the encouragement that says, that's okay, mate, we'll get the next one? See, there's an opportunity for us to up our game, word serve, and all of this, if we'll think a little bit more like a left tackle. More to follow. As we continue to go through the list, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. In other words, we have to be one team, not one person. We can't go and want to do our own things. Imagine, imagine being in the huddle as a left tackle, or let's, let's change it up a little bit. I'm going to be a wide receiver for a moment. I'm in the huddle as a wide receiver, and I hear the play call, and I know the ball's not coming to me. And this is the fourth time that the ball's not coming to me. And so we break huddle, and I go out to my thing. I'm like, this team is stupid. They're not going to throw me the ball. Hut, hut, hike. I'll go, th I'll go through the motions. Okay. So what happens is when that receiver doesn't run an accurate route, that defender is not pulled off. See, just the, the mere fact that I'm out here in a threat and doing my thing opens up the defense and allows the team to advance the ball. But if I refuse to do that because I know I'm not getting the ball, I've hurt the whole team. How many times in church arenas have you been hurt and maybe just gone through the motions, not understanding that going through the motions hurts the team? I've done that. It's not hard to do because we're human. And I'm not, I'm not wanting to cast guilt or, or shame here. I'm just making us aware that there's a, a greater cause. And, and here it is. This is called the, the one verse, right? You, you, can't hear, you can't put more ones in one verse. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one bet. You get the idea. We're not a series of stovepipes. We're in this together, like it or not. And we have what we need to be a Super Bowl caliber team because we have the best coach in the world, God, the creator of the universe. We have the best quarterback in the world. Anybody guess? There's a Sunday school answer I was looking for. We have Jesus as our quarterback, and so you know the plays coming in are going to be good. And you know if an audible is necessary on the field, Jesus is going to call the right one because he's that good. The only challenge is are we going to execute what gets called? And even if the ball's not coming to us, are we going to do our part so that the team can succeed? In other words, will we be gentle? Will we be patient? Will we be humble? 
That's what it takes to be a Super Bowl caliber team. God has modeled all of this for us. This is not something that we have to search for. So I put together a, a pretty complex list here of how we can become a Super Bowl caliber team. Here's your application first. Let's study the playbook. What person is going to go into a huddle and have the play called and never have looked at the playbook? Any guesses what the playbook is? Well, there's another Sunday school answer I was looking for. You guys are good. Right? So we're, if you read the Bible and study the Bible, then we'll know how to apply the Bible. So when Jesus calls the audible, we know exactly what he talks about when he means love. We know exactly what he talks about when he means forgiveness and grace because he's lived this. He has done this for us. And it's not just words on a page. It's a life that was lived. And we can see through his example how to apply it. But we have to study the playbook. The second one is develop your skills. Now, this may be a stretch for you, but I have never played offensive lineman. I know, right? It's hard to imagine. I have never played an offensive lineman. Uh, anybody guess why? <laughs> I don't eat enough cheeseburgers. Yeah, I would be squashed. You would find a little oil spot with a helmet if I played offensive line, and the quarterback would, would not be happy either. My point is, I'm not built to be an offensive lineman, so I'm not going to waste my time trying to learn to be an offensive lineman. I'm going to learn to do what I was built to do. And maybe it's not a, a glamour position. Maybe it is, but that doesn't matter. What matters is God has wired you in a specific way. And if I don't develop what God has wired me, then I have wasted what he has poured into me. God has given to me. Shouldn't I give back? Here's how we give back. We develop what he has given us, and then we pour that back out into the team, and the team pours it back out into the community, and it's a beautiful thing. There's nothing that, that more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I was going to say, it's not disappointing. There's just nothing more disheartening than watching someone who has oodles of talent not use it for whatever reason. Maybe they've been hurt. Maybe they feel like they don't have anything to contribute. Maybe they're, they're tired of not getting the ball. But I just see oodles of talent sitting in reserve, and I'm like, what are you waiting for? Don't you understand there's a game to play? And don't you understand the excitement that that generates? Who wants to go and watch the, the last place team play the Super Bowl? Uh, you're not going to get 96 million. You're not going to get 96 viewers, period. <laughs> you're not going to get those high-value commercials. You're not going to get anything. But when you are in the game, when you are playing the Super Bowl with a Super Bowl-caliber team, there is excitement. There is energy. And you can draw from that. And so can everybody else. That's what my encouragement is to us. But here's how we have to keep doing this. We have to huddle on a regular basis. Imagine if a team went out there and never came together in the huddle. I mean, you can call you know, up to the line. You can call the plays, but that only goes so far, and you can only run so many. How do we huddle in church? Any ideas? Small groups are a great one. I mentioned community groups are about ready to start. This is a great time to find a small huddle. What's another way? What? Pray. That's a great way to do it. Pray together. What? Serve together. There's a huddle right there. What are we doing right now? This is a holy huddle right here, and Jesus is in our midst. But if we don't do this on a regular basis, we're, we're just stepping up to the line and kind of playing this set number of plays that we know how to play. And what happens when life changes? What happens when COVID comes and we don't know what to do? Well, let's go to the huddle and get the call. Let's go back to the playbook and see if there's something about that. 
So you got to huddle on a regular basis. And then finally, you got to run the play that's being called. I can't decide as, as that play is called and I leave that huddle like, mm, yeah, I don't really like that one. I'm going to do my own thing. How many people have ever done that in life? I'm, I'm going to do my own thing. How'd that work for you? Yeah, I, I can tell you, like, you don't have enough time for me to tell you how many times I've tried to do my own thing and it didn't work out and God ended up fixing that. But, oh, man, how painful that was. It's better just to run the play that's called. And it's better to do it as a team. This is what I have learned. I know this is rocket science for, <laughs> for most of it. But here's, here's, here's one of the differences between football and baseball, right? In baseball, you're the pitcher. You're looking at that catcher, and they throw a sign. And you can shake that off. Ah, that's the one I want. How many times in a, in a huddle have you ever seen a football player go, That doesn't happen, right? So you, you get the point. We've got to run the play that's called, and we've got to run it as a team. All right. So here's how we can do this, WordServe. I'm going to throw up wordserve.org slash serve. And, and, and I'm asking you to take a look at this webpage. Because in this webpage, we have the opportunity to serve in many capacities. This is the life-giving stuff I was talking to you about, the stuff that God has poured into you that you can pour back into the community. For example, we have a greeting team. I would love to flesh out the greeting team so that when people come here, they get met by someone. We have a deliberate connectional system so people don't just kind of wander around looking for the huddle. They have someone that can help them find their place, help them identify what position they play on the team, and then opportunities to play that game. I would also love to invigorate our prayer team again. Not that they need invigorating. They're very vigorous people. But the more people we got praying, the more clearly we're going to hear from God. I'd like to have a a deliberate discipleship system, a pathway. I'd like to have leadership development. I'd like to have all kinds of things, but it takes players, and it takes people on the team, not people who wear the uniform. You see the difference? So visit wordserve.org slash serve and look at the opportunities we have. I'm not doing this so that WordServe looks good. I'm not doing this so that I look good. I'm doing this in the hopes that Jesus will look good to the world around us. That's the only way that this happens. So as we talk about what it is to be a disciple, what it is to be a part of this team, I want you to, to recognize that there are a lot of people, especially in North America, that want to wear the uniform. Who doesn't want to wear a uniform of a winning team? And when you think about it, Christ has already won. It's a winning team. So by believing, we get to wear the uniform of the winning team. But here's the thing. Christ wins in the end, but how many people are we willing to lose between now and his coming again? What, how many is acceptable? What's an acceptable loss rate for people who are out there wandering and lost and in despair? I think zero is a good number. <laughs> but it takes us reaching out. A lot of people will believe so that they can wear the uniform of the winning team. And, and their goal is they can wear the uniform so they can get into the stadium. That stadium is heaven. I believe so I can get to heaven. There's just one problem with that. We're not called to get in the stadium. We're called to get in the game. And getting in the game can be a little messy. So if you find yourself this morning with a spiritually clean uniform standing next to the kicker, you might take a look at how you might get in the game. And I'm with you in this. My uniform's a little cleaner than I'd like it to be. 
I'm looking for a few good people to get muddy with. Who's with me? Excellent. We'll work on that. But we'll huddle, we'll pray, and we'll trust that the coach will call the right play. The only thing left to do then is for us to execute it. Because here's the thing. When we wear this uniform, the world is watching. And here's my last question for you. Words are, when the world looks at us, will they see Super Bowl chumps or Super Bowl champs? The decision is ours. Will you pray with me, please? God, thank you for the guidance that you give on a daily basis, whether that's through Scripture, through your Holy Spirit, through the wise counsel of others, in conversation, in prayer. God, I pray that we would have our eyes open to the great need that's in the world and yet not be overwhelmed by that. So often we look out and say, it's too big. There's too much going on. I can't handle that. God, help us to recognize that our team is way bigger than us, that we'll handle what you ask us to handle. We'll run the play that you ask us to run. We'll develop what you have poured into us so that we can pour it back into our community and we can make a difference in this world and not accept the darkness that surrounds us and the hopelessness and despair. God, let us bring light. Let us bring truth. Let us bring grace. Let us bring most of all your love, however it takes, because that's what you have done for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.